Georgia trying to shake off Starks. Oh, what a move by in here, I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. Lead pass to Tim Hill, So, John, I got you on. Welcome to the Retro Room. And, you know, in, in preparing for this, I wanted to start off with something you said very interesting in the Twitter DM when I reached out to you. When um, I said we could talk about some 80s and 90s uh, Boston Celtics, and you said, cool, man, I can't wait. I got to talk about this Larry Bird slander. And that, that really caught me off guard. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, what a way to start. I usually start in chronological order, but I think today we're going to go all over the place. But you got to break it down to me, man. Um, Larry Bird slander. The first time I heard that uh, either in a while or ever from, you, you know, you're, you, you, you cover the Celtics. You're a Celtic fan. But let's break it down, man. Where or why do you yeah. think there's a Larry Bird slander out there? Well, I mean, it started with yeah, – I mean – I'm I'm in my 40s, so I've been around a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's it, it I, I'll file this under you know kids these days because people <laughs> only see YouTube clips of Larry and it, he doesn't look imposing. Mm-hmm. Like you look at guys in the NBA now, everybody's got muscles. Like right. I, I'm looking at my team, and Grant Williams is a rookie on this team, late in the first round pick. He's going to be a solid NBA guy, I think. You look at him, and he's got a body that people, like, he looks like Carl Malone. And people like Shemi Ojale is on this team, and he's just like a, a bodybuilder. Mm-hmm. And people see these guys. That's kind of normal nowadays. You look at Larry Bird's era, those guys didn't look like that. Carl Malone looked like that, and everybody lost their minds over it because, like, oh, my God, what's he doing out there with muscles? He's a basketball player. Right. So... Now you've got these young kids who only see some YouTube clips and they look at Larry and they're like, look at this, look at this white dude who's kind of, you know, soft. Like he's, he's going to get eaten up in today's NBA. He's got a mullet. He's got a cheap flimsy mustache. I mean, look at him. But people don't understand that he's a, a killer. And so I saw a poll where people are like, which team would you, uh, which player would you rather start a team with? Larry Bird or Blake Griffin? And like, it was like 50-50. I'm like, you guys really? don't even know. Like, And I like Blake. I mean, Blake's been a good player. Mm-hmm. But, like, Larry Bird was a killer, killer out there. I mean, that dude, in today's NBA, the way he shot the ball, like, Larry Bird is a career 38% three-point shooter. He shot over 40% from three for four straight seasons. In the NBA. And each of those seasons, he took two, three threes per game. 
in today's league, mm-hmm. with the emphasis on on the three, he would be taking twelve. I mean, he'd be putting up some Steph Curry kind of numbers. And he was shifty. He could pass. He could. I mean, he could rebound. I mean, he did everything. Um, and I don't know. I, I just I don't think people fully understand. And that's what happens when you know time flies. Like the the history kind of gets away from people and all you have is stats and, and YouTube clips and you don't know. So there's always a recency bias. You see a guy like Blake, he's jumping over a car, you know, he's, he's, and he's playing very well, but like he never, ever, ever had the impact of Larry Bird. So mm. there's, there's a ton of slander, but I mean, beyond Larry Bird slander, it's just the old legend slander. Like right. unless it's Michael Jordan, people just sleep on, the older legends. And that just happens a generational thing. At some point, 30 years from now, some kid's going to put up a poll of, you know, I don't know, Bronny James or something versus some guy like Steph Curry. And I don't know what Bronny James is going to be, but they're going to be people who are, are just going to be offended by the poll. Mm-hmm. So that type of stuff happens. That's what, so that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I, I think, and I told you yesterday that the, the best comparison to a Larry Bird was was Dirk. And I know Dirk is not better than Larry Bird, but as far as if you're trying to find like, you know, people compare uh, Kobe to Mike. And I think that's that, that's probably the perfect marriage in, in, in comparison. When it came to Bird, the only guy that I, that I saw live that, that can even remotely close compare to Larry Bird was Dirk. Well, yeah, Dirk, I mean, because he had, you know, he's a, a big guy that could shoot, but I mean, Bird could handle the ball. I mean, mm-hmm. Bird would be a classic point forward nowadays. I mean, he he could handle the ball. He could pass. I mean, he was he had real no no weaknesses uh, other than maybe defensively. But he still made all defense teams. So yeah. like, there's. <laughs> I mean, I think that might speak to some of the defense played back then. But uh, I think Dirk is is an okay comparison. I, I don't know if there are any real comparisons to Larry Bird. It's like people try to compare people to magic or whatever like I, I don't i don't even want to make comparisons like i don't even think there should be a comparison to dirk to be honest with you because dirk is his own guy like uh, that size being able to shoot the way he does but out of the post and that one-legged fadeaway i mean he has a signature shot like that i think i think uh i prefer not to make comparisons because once you make player comps mm-hmm. then people people get tied to them and then even if you say, well, this guy reminds me of so-and-so, I, 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 I'm out of that business. I once, uh, who was it on the Celtics? Uh, Jawan Johnson, who, does anybody even know what who Jawan Johnson is anymore? No. But, <laughs> no, right. So, but he was like 6'11", and he had a shot that had a high release, and I said, man, that guy's release reminds me of Kevin Garnett's release, like a high release point. Like he shot the ball like he mimicked Kevin Garnett. I said that and immediately people were like, oh, what do you You can't mention Jawan Johnson and Kevin Garnett in the same sentence. Like, well, I'm not saying he is. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying his shot looks like the, and it's you pay a price for that. And I, I just I, I don't even want to get down that road. Mm-hmm. Do you think as as crazy as it might sound? That you know when you mentioned the 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 youth nowadays only know of people by YouTube clips and and stuff like that and tend to put like 
LeBron is better than Michael or whatever case may be, that is there, have you seen or heard anybody say that Larry Bird tends to be, you know, a little underrated or, or, or overlooked or still doesn't get enough credit, as crazy as it might sound, and him resurging the NBA with, with Magic in the 80s, that somehow people just doesn't talk about Larry Bird enough? Well, only I say that, like people like me, um, because, um, and, and this goes into part of our discussion, mm-hmm. like the clips, the clips that exist of Larry Bird, I mean, it's, it's the same, like few clips. Um, and you know, when those, those finals games were on tape delay, like it's hard to get a hold of some of those, those tapes for mm-hmm. some, and it, it's that stuff just kind of fades. Um, I don't know that anybody ever says he's underrated because they haven't seen it. Like if you're not me or like Chad Finn of the Boston globe or like people who are like our age or above like forties or above, Mm -hmm. you're not clamoring for like, Hey, pay attention to Larry bird because like people don't understand. And, And that, and that's fine. That's fine. Um, it, it, I, I understand why people don't don't get it, um, and he certainly doesn't need the validation. The people who play basketball, the people who have seen it, uh, NBA people, they know. And and Larry Bird, the, the best part about Larry Bird is he knows full well, and uh, he most certainly doesn't need anybody's validation because he knows exactly who he was. Um, right. And I mean, like the, the best story is like him, uh, against Xavier McDaniel calling his shot. Um, and for people who haven't heard it, they were playing, I forget, I guess, I guess X was still with the Sonics, but, uh, Larry Bird said, I'm going to get the ball right here and I'm going to shoot it. I'm going to hit it in your face. Last second shot. Uh, and he got the ball. And they sent a double team over, and you can search for this on, on YouTube. They sent a double team over, so Larry Bird had to take the shot earlier than he wanted. He got the ball right where he said he was going to get it. He hit the shot, um, and then he looks at McDaniel and he goes, oh, man, I didn't mean, mean to leave any time on the clock. But, like, <laughs> that, that type of stuff is like, mm-hmm. you got to be, like, I know a lot of people can talk trash, but like Larry Bird backed it all up, like all of it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's all right. It's all right. I ha- I have the memories. That's all I need. <laughs> That's right. And you know what? For all the 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 young YouTube crowd, if you don't know, Larry Bird is a three time champion, two time Finals MVP, three time uh, MVP, twelve time All Star, uh, fifty greatest of all time, All Star MVP, one time, nine time All NBA First Team, three time All Defensive Second Team. Uh, rookie of the year, 1980, three-point shootout champion, uh, number retired by the Celtics. Need I say more? So just in case you don't know who Larry Bird is, now you know. Um, for you personally, it's it's a three-part question. Before I move on, three-part question Ooh, for you. Pers- three-part question. Yeah, for you personally. I gotta sit up for this. <laughs> where does Larry Bird rank for you all time? Um, as far as on my personal favorites list yeah. or in, in, in the NBA. Well, that's number one for you. 
for me personally, yeah. I mean, he's he's obviously my favorite player of all time. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, for for all of the things that I I had been saying, I mean, just you know, it, 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 people don't understand like the work ethic that he had to undergo, and I you know I didn't have the privilege of seeing somebody like Bill Russell. So I mean, it'd be a little disingenuous for me to say somebody like that because I'm sure as much as I'm sure that I would have loved him and he he might have been at the top of my list he was way before my time so i i just don't have that luxury mm. uh, you know paul pierce is close because paul pierce has like a reclamation story to him mm. but bird is you know my he's my generation um when i was um like 13 years old bird was winning his second championship third championship third championship okay um you know so and you know i have a, i have a little bit of a different backstory when it comes to basketball because my parents came over from greece um and you know they they didn't know american culture and like like i said before and and as we're gonna ha- get into in the discussion i mean we had regional games that we would watch um but you know cable didn't come around till much later mm-hmm. uh you know, mid eighties and we didn't get cable right away. And the national TV games that they, they weren't, you know, they were on tape delay. And so I didn't get, a, I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of the, the games early on. Mm-hmm. So I discovered basketball. Late. Like I had to find basketball on my own and find it late and then kind of retroactively kind of deal with the history and say, Oh wow, this is great. Like I remember watching a Celtics game early on, and wondering how does anybody win if nobody misses a shot? Like I just kept seeing the ball go in mm. and I, I just never understood how that, how that worked. Um, so Larry, Larry is, he was the best player on my favorite team. Uh, Kevin McHale is a very close second because I, I studied a lot of Kevin McHale's moves. And when I was in, um, when I was in high school, I was a post player and I, I, I studied Kevin McHale, um, among others, but, uh, but Larry was just special. So I, I, anybody that was my age watching Larry bird on a regular basis, you can't help but fall in love with that guy. Right now. Where do you think Larry bird ranks all time in NBA from like a, a, a general survey or a general consensus Someone says, where do you put Larry Bird all the time? Where do you think he is? Top five, top ten, in the middle somewhere? I mean, I probably would put him top five. Um, I can see the argument for putting him maybe a little lower. Mm-hmm. Um, God, you know, it, it really depends on what you value and and how how you decide to rank these guys but maybe maybe at number 5 maybe at number 7 uh, certainly no lower than 10 i can't imagine no, no. nine guys better no. than larry bird at basketball but you know uh, i i think now with lebron and and his you know what he's done you people want to start you know your all-time team i i mean i would put larry bird at the 3 but People will put LeBron at the three, and, and you know that's mm-hmm. that makes sense. But you know, I've got my own personal mm-hmm. affinity. Like, 
I, people will say, well, Bird would never be able to guard LeBron. Well, nobody could. But you know what? He wouldn't be able to guard Bird either. Uh, that's how good Larry Bird was. Like, no one's guarding Larry Bird. That's just not happening. So uh, you could say LeBron and, and give, you know, how much bigger, faster, stronger he is. But uh, no one was smarter. No one in, the, in basketball ever was smarter than Larry Bird. I mean, some people as smart. Magic was as smart. Other guys might be as smart. But no one could outthink Larry Bird on the floor. And, and I just um, – so whatever. Uh, somewhere, somewhere in the top ten is fine with me. But I have him. I have I have him top five. So now you uh, you mentioned a few things. One, you know, John, we are in an era where somebody might put Steph Curry above Larry Bird. That, that just that's just the world we live in now. So people tend to forget yeah, what sure. he's done. Um, and that just but he's not. <laughs> I mean, to you and probably to me, but some people out there, like, oh, Larry Bird, who like okay, Steph Curry, he's making 40, 50 footers, and he got three rings, and you know, and, and he's still playing. And someone could say, well, Larry Bird got three rings in, in his in his entire career, so Curry's gonna to get at least one more he'll be better that's just the way of the world we're living but you, sure you, you sure. mentioned lebron now there is a debate i think out there uh for quite some time like when you mentioned the, the, the greatest small forwards of all time there is lebron up there there is like scotty pippen there is larry bird so i know for you you're probably gonna put larry bird above lebron in the small forward category but general consensus do you think people now would put lebron above larry bird or do you think they still have bird above lebron as far as the greatest small forward of all time i mean i i know everybody says the obvious answer is going to be lebron and it, it might and it might be um i will make the case for larry bird i mean his first what was it three six i'm looking at his stats now six years in the league mm-hmm. almost seven he averaged uh a double double. He averaged twenty and ten at least his first six years in the league. His seventy was at nine point eight rebounds. Uh, but like that nineteen eighty four eighty five season, where he was at twenty nine points, ten and a half rebounds, six six and a half assists, uh, one and a half steals, more than a block a game. I mean, shooting. By the way. Um, what did he shoot from three that season? Uh, 42.7% from three, which if he had just taken, uh, he took 22 shots a game. Think about this. Mm. This is the league. And this is, and this is why I hate comparing errors because the, the three was not an emphasis back then. The three was actually considered like a coward's way out. Like you didn't, you didn't have the balls to get into the lane and get your, get dirty. Um, Larry Bird took 22-point shots per game, and he averaged 29 points per game, okay? That's that's what guys are averaging now, taking 10 three-pointers a game, okay? Mm-hmm. So if, if Larry Bird, instead of taking 1.6 threes per game, still took 22 shots, but at 40, almost 43%, took five three-pointers a game, changed that shot profile a little bit. Think of it, he'd be shooting, he'd be averaging over 30-something points a game. Now, he never averaged over 30. He got close a couple times. Right. But in today's league, with today's emphasis, with today's training and nutrition and all of that stuff, 
like Larry Bird's life is a little bit different and Larry Bird's performance is a little bit different and the types of shots that he takes is a little bit different. Like all of that stuff changes. And if Steph Curry played in the 80s, he would have to play differently because people there would just be no emphasis on the three point shot. And and maybe, you know, you can say, well, he would have shot those, but he would have he would have learned the game differently. Coaches wouldn't have told him to do that. So he would he wouldn't even be working on that kind of shot. Uh, So it's hard to compare across eras. So Larry Bird in today's game, I think, would just be phenomenal. Mm -hmm. But he was already phenomenal. So um, back to the original question. LeBron, LeBron is, you know, obviously, arguably the greatest player of all time. So you, I can see, obviously, you want to put him as the best small forward of, of all time. Okay, that, that, that's fine. I'm not going to argue that. What I'm going to say is th- there, there will be people who say it's LeBron and it's not even close. Well, it's okay. You want, I'll give you LeBron, mm-hmm. but it's close. Like it's really close. And the difference is the fact that LeBron is six seven and just a giant muscular dude and is a linebacker out there flying around. And at his best, he was playing phenomenal defense. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's the tiebreaker. But offensively, Larry Bird was better than LeBron James. Just defensively, LeBron James is so much better than Larry Bird that he's a better all-around player. Um, just so I, I'm, that's fine, but it's it's really really close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, man. Um, it's like you can't go wrong either way. It really depends on what you're looking for. You know, I've always been a big time Scotty Pippen fan, so I'm kind of biased towards him. And you know, you could make the argument for him. And, but I know LeBron's stronger, powerful. But went to I, I would never put Scotty Pippen in that discussion. I'm sorry. As far as the greatest small forward of all time. I mean, not at number one. Oh, no, 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 not I number mean, one. Probably, I mean, he's behind, um, he's he's behind Dr. J. Um, he's behind, um, I, I would say he's probably like fourth, fifth on that list. Hmm. So that's what, LeBron, Bird, you got Dr. J. Above Dr. J. Um, What's my missing? Small forward. Uh, well, what do we... What do we classify uh, Elgin Baylor as? Elgin Baylor was a small forward. Okay. I put Elgin, you know. um, James Worthy? No. I put Elgin Baylor above Scotty. I put Scotty Pippen fifth. I put Elgin Baylor above him. Mm. I don't know, man. I I, I, I got Scotty top three. I I give Scotty top three for me. Okay. I, I, I'm certainly not putting him again, uh, ahead of Dr. J. I mean, I think uh, I'll push back on you. In fact, I'll say you're crazy for putting him above Dr. J. Uh, J was, I mean, just sick. Like he, it's a shame that he played in the era that he played in mm-hmm. because a lot of his, a lot of his history is in the ABA. Uh, but that dude was dominant, dominant with a capital D. Um, and look, Scotty, uh, I have my biases against Scotty. I think Scotty is a bit overrated. Mm. I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you fourth at best. But LeBron Bird, Doc, ahead of Scotty 
Like for me, for sure, for sure. Okay, I give you that. I, maybe Which I, still makes him really good. I mean, he's still yeah. a Hall of Famer, one of the best of all time. He'd be top five at any position. That's still phenomenal. But, um, I, I, but yeah, that that's where I would rank. So where's someone like real quick? Where's someone like Dominique fall into? Well, Dominique. Dominique's an interesting guy. First of all, Dominique Wilkins, I, I think of him as a, a power forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that how you want to classify him, um, are, are, do you classify him as a small forward or a power forward? I think a small I mean, that's, forward. That's, so as a small forward, um, I mean, he played no defense. I mean, he's one of the greatest scorers of all time. Um, but you know, uh, you know, he's in that um, tough. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough. Like off the top of my head, sixth, seventh, hmm. somewhere in that range. Yeah, we got. Um, Again, got- still, still really good. But yeah. you know. Like I said, Elgin Baylor. Nobody talks about Elgin Baylor enough. Elgin Baylor was a bad man. Um, and I, I think because he played in at a time where uh, there's just not a lot of film and all that. But like Elgin Baylor, mm-hmm. let's just look up his stats real quick. Uh, Elgin Baylor for three straight years averaged 34 and a half, 38 and 34 points. Uh, the, in 1961, he averaged 34 and a half points in almost 20 rebounds. The next year, 38 points, 19 rebounds, almost 34 points, 14 rebounds. I mean, he had a stretch there where he was by far, by far the most dominant player in the league. So, <coughs> excuse yeah. me. Um, he, he played in the early sixties. Um, by the time the seventies rolled around, he was at the end of his career. Mm. Um, he was overshadowed by guys like Jerry West and Will Chamberlain, but back back when he was at his best, he was the best. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think Elgin Baylor kind of gets forgotten in in the small forward debates. So he's he's top five for sure. So that pushes Dominique down to I don't know six seven mm-hmm. somewhere in that range. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta do a, a, a show separately on ranking the small forwards because I think that'll be, that'll be one very interesting topic. Um, real quick, so Larry Bird got three rings: eighty-one, eighty-four, eighty-six. Uh, two against the Lakers, one against the Rockets, right? Two against the Lakers, one against the Rockets. Yes. Okay, so how would you rank those championships? One being the best, and third being like, eh, it was okay. 84, 81, 84, well, 86. 86 was the best. That team was one of the best NBA teams ever assembled. And I think it was only eclipsed by the, um, by the recent uh, Golden State Warriors. Um, so, so, the, so, so not the 96 Bulls. I, uh, mm. I would put the I would put the '86 Celtics against the the '96 Bulls. I, I I would absolutely put that team up against that '96 Bulls team. I happen to believe 
that that 96 Bulls team is a bit overrated because they got fat on expansion era teams in a diluted NBA. Um, obviously still extraordinarily good and one of the best teams of all time, but like not the best team of all time. Uh, I, I still had up until this run of warriors teams, especially once they got Durant, um, I think that that Durant, once they got Durant, that team kind of eclipsed the 86 Celtics. But I think the 86 Celtics were phenomenal. <coughs> Excuse me. And I think um, I think better than the Bulls team. Listen, man, I, I see I see a trend going on. I got Scottie Pippen overrated. I got the 96 Bulls a little overrated from you. Is What's going you on in Chicago? What's going on in Chicago, man? <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> Um, What's Chicago do to yeah. you? Nothing. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry, I got a tickle in my throat. All good. Um, that I, I'm not a fan of '90s era basketball. Mm. I think the '90s era basketball there was there was a lot of expansion very fast. Um, it diluted the game. Um, we had a a the Pat Riley. Um, era where like the uh, what was it uh the, the the riley van gundy heat knicks yeah um that that era of like 90 to 83 or 86 80 <laughs> basketball was god awful to watch like I, I just don't like that era of basketball so i'm I'm down on a lot of the things that happened in that time. I think mm. 80s basketball was like like kind of like late 80s rap, like a golden era of basketball. And then the 90s kind of dipped. And then in 2000s, like we started to get back on the upswing a little bit. And I don't want to discount the accomplishments of players who played in an era that I think was a down era. I mean, they were still phenomenal players and all that stuff, but um, I, I just, I think certain things, I, I don't put as much stock into them as I do in, in other eras where the game was different and more difficult. So the, the 96 bulls, sorry, uh, a little bit inflated there. Uh, I still, it's not like I think they'd get swept by the 86 Celtics. I think it'd be like a seven game series, but, I think, and also, you know, there's a matter of what rules you're playing by because are you hand checking or you're not hand checking? Mm -hmm. Like the hand check is a, a really important era in NBA basketball because I remember specifically Michael Jordan teaching defense. I saw a video of him teaching defense where you put your hand on a guy's hip and you could guide him where you wanted to go just by how you twist your wrist and put pressure. So that hand checking where you could literally put your hand on a guy's hip and kind of guide him in a certain direction that doesn't exist today. And so I'm sure Larry, I mean, uh, Michael Jordan would have been able to figure out how to play defense in that, in, in this era, mm -hmm. but also guys in this era if you were able to put your hands on a guy would be much better defenders. So it's, 
it's never as easy as comparing errors. It's never as simple as saying this would happen because, you know, you just, it's a time machine. There's a lot of other factors. So that's, that's part of my calculation. So you had the 80, the, the 1986, uh, finals, uh, championship for Boston. Number one, 84, 81, 84. Uh, no, um, I think I'll, I'll put the other Lakers final, the 84, when they beat the Rockets, I thought I'll put third because that that was a little bit of a disappointment because they didn't play the Lakers because the Lakers got eliminated. So that Rockets team, obviously they got to the finals, but um, I think because of the disappointment of not playing the Lakers, I'll, I'll rank that one third. Okay, so you got 86, 84, 81, right? Uh, yes. Okay. Um, real quick, did you... Um, did you ever get a chance to go to the Boston Garden? Yes or no? Not during those era, Not during those days. Mm. My first, my first game at the Garden was like 1992. Okay, so now 92. That's where the bird was was on the cusp of retiring, or he just retired, right? Bird had already retired by that point. I, I'm a little hazy. I think it, it might have been 93, but. I didn't get to see Bird play live. Uh, the game that I got to see was Celtics against the Orlando Magic, mm. and uh, because I was I was a huge fan of Shaq back then, it was so dominant. Like I was watching him in LSU, mm-hmm. um, and when when Orlando came to town, I was like, I gotta go see this dude play. Um, so I remember going to the Old Garden. So I did get to see uh, a game at the Old Garden before they tore it down. So at the Old Garden, two, two games that I recall the most. I mean, aside from Lakers stuff, I think it was the the Jordan sixty three game that you know Bird called Jordan God um, yep. in a Chicago Bull uniform, and it was the um, the game where Bird went at Dominique. I think they both had forty plus something like that. Nineteen eighty eight playoff game seven. Um, Kind of helped me because again, I'm like maybe two, three, four years old. I know about it. It's probably been a while since I've seen both games in its entirety, but what do you recall most from the Jordan game and what do you recall most from the Dominique game that still that people may not even talk about as much nowadays? Well, I remember the thing I remember most from the Jordan game is that they lost. The the Bulls lost. (laughs) Of course you say that. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, he was unstoppable in that game. Uh, So... Uh, but yeah, I, I remember that he couldn't be stopped, but the Celtics still won um, that game. Mm-hmm. The the Bird Dominique duel, um, they had a lot of duels. Um, in that game, it was a nineteen eighty eight. That was a nineteen eighty eight playoffs. Yeah, game seven. Uh, I know that Larry Bird and Dominique had a lot of battles. There was, I mean, there was a famous game in Atlanta where Bird was Bird was hitting so many shots that guys on the Hawks bench were like laughing about it, mm-hmm. like the types of shot. That, um, but in this in this matchup, the thing about this battle was, I think how Larry Bird finished the game. Like he started off. Um, he started off slow, if I recall, and it looked like like 
this was going to be, um, this was going to be Dominique. Like, and it's 1988. It's, it's later in bird's career. Um, you're wondering if this is kind of it. It's game seven. Does Larry bird have it? And he comes out and he kind of doesn't. Um, and then he drops 20 in the fourth quarter and, and goes on to like, it becomes like a classic Larry game where um, he has like 14 points going in and all of a sudden drops 20 in the fourth quarter. And you're like, well, there's no stopping this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's because Dominique was having such a, such a game um, that Larry Bird just like found a way, He found a way to just be like, all right, well, I got to do something. <laughs> and he, he dug deep and he found his, uh, he, he just, he found something, you know, he pulled something out of his bag of tricks again. But like I said, 88 bird at that point, um, he'd gone through some, some injury stuff. Again, he was never viewed as the most athletic guy. I mean, he was in phenomenal shape, but like it was hard for him, you know, with a bunch of these injuries, um, so that was kind of like holding off, not just Dominique, but like father time sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was a battle. Uh, have you ever got a, uh, Have you ever got a chance to meet Larry Bird? Um, no, hmm. uh, I've been in the same place as Larry Bird. I've been at summer league games where Larry Bird was there. Um. I've never had a conversation with him, which I think it's taken me all of this time to kind of prepare myself <laughs> where I, I can now have a conversation with him without being like a total, like Chris Man. Farley, SNL, like uh, you are awesome. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, just, just so you have like a frame of reference when I was in my twenties, uh, I was playing on this kind of traveling basketball team. Mm-hmm. I was at Logan Airport, and this was, you know, in the mid '90s. So pre 9/11, where like security wasn't like it is now. So a guy running across an airport terminal wasn't like a, a like freakout moment. Right. So I was on one end of the terminal. And somehow on the other end of the terminal, I spotted Bill Russell and I'm sitting there in my full like sweats, my traveling, like, you know, you know, basketball team, they have like the, the track suit type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh, that is, that's Bill Russell. And I sprint, boom, dead sprint across. And he's like getting ready to go through security. By the time I got to him, I was just an idiot, like a blubbering moron. Like, Oh my God, you're Bill Russell. it was like nice of him to not like ignore me Mm. he said oh thank you it was nice and he walked off but like that's how i would have been with larry bird up until like maybe a few years ago now that i'm a professional i have to like keep it together but like yeah larry's in that in that category so i do want to bring up the lakers and, and and boston rivalry um you know they they met 
quite a few times in the, in the finals in the 80s. Every year in the 80s, the finals either had Boston or L.A. Just kind of shows you how dominant those teams were in the whole entire decade. Um, I know we had a brief conversation in DM yesterday that you know people, again, people know. Our age, they know. But the younger audience should know that how Magic and Bird saved the NBA. So now you talk about the early 80s. They met in the final, the championship game in college. And once they got in the league, um, everything changed. You know, TV, the, the ratings, they were on all the time. And it was just like a basketball resurgence. They merged with the, with the ABA uh, prior to that. But even someone like me who doesn't really know, I've seen the, the documentaries on ESPN and uh, HBO, but still, there might be some things that, that we don't know about when it comes to Magic and Bird saving the NBA. So to you, if, if, if a young fan asks you, hey, man, you know, can you kind of talk to me about how Magic and Bird did save you know, the NBA, what would you tell them? Well, it's important to understand why the NBA was in position to be saved. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 70s, much like the 90s, was a down period in the NBA. Um, you had the ABA as a challenger to the NBA. Um, the NBA was seen as a stuffy league for white people. And the ABA came along and became like this place where street ball and the appeal to the black community kind of emerged. The type of basketball that was being played on the playgrounds was finally being represented by professionals and the type of kind of very regimented kind of basketball where the coach is the king and you make this play and this pass and set this pick, um, which is very, you know, suburban high school, you know, coach with the, the shorts, you know, halfway up his thigh and the, the polo shirt tucked into it like that guy. Mm-hmm. Like, so the audience was fractured. And so you had the merger of the ABA and the NBA and you had the, I forget what year the finals, Philly versus Portland's 76, 77, somewhere in that range. Yeah. Um, the Portland trailblazers were the old NBA team with Bill Walton. Um, and they were, they represented the NBA and the Philadelphia 76ers had a lot of the old ABA guys. I mean, they had, they had Dr. J. I mean, those guys, Moses Malone, like, Oh wait, Moses wasn't there yet at that point. But anyway, they they had guys that were really ABA heavy. So there was almost like a clash of cultures. And when you have that, it takes a few years to kind of shake that out. And because of that, there was like a, a big dip in the ratings. 70s was also the cocaine era. And a lot of guys in the NBA were getting busted for drugs. And it, the NBA was was really at the verge of, of a, a huge, huge downfall. Uh, so the, the ABA had come in and, and really put a dent in the NBA. 
because of its its challenge and the culture clash. Now people perceived it as a, a you know a lot of drug fueled whatever you know, and so they needed something to kind of take that focus away and 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 focus it back on the product on the court. And then here comes Larry and here comes magic. And you still kind of have that racial element because obviously Larry bird is white and he goes to Boston. Boston is, is known for, you know, having those types of racial struggles. And, and so now Boston has a team that's very white and LA has a team that's very black. And so but that becomes kind of settled on the floor. You've got Showtime versus, you know, the old school Celtics. Mm-hmm. And and that kind of takes the fractured culture war that was going on in the 70s and kind of refocuses it on the floor. And it becomes all about the basketball. You're settling it on the basketball court. And what Magic and Larry became through all of this were like, they were basically enemies at the beginning adversaries and Larry bird is the first person to say, yeah, that was mostly my fault because when you were playing against me, I didn't want to talk to you at some point. There's the famous story is the converse commercial where I forget what year the converse commercial was, but Larry Bird and Magic Johnson were, were doing Converse. They're both Converse guys, and they were advertising Converse weapon. And they took this, they, they filmed this commercial in Indiana. And the famous commercial, Larry Bird's out there and the farm shooting, and then this limo pulls up. It's showtime. Here comes Magic in his full Lakers warm-up gear. And they go out and, and they're like settling it on the court. So the, the whole commercial is a one-on-one battle between those guys and really highlights the differences between these two. Um, and what's funny is like Larry, Larry is the blue collar guy and magic is like the, the high profile Hollywood guy. Mm-hmm. And then they get like, they take a break in shooting and magic goes is invited by Larry's mom up to the house to like get some food and some drinks. And they're right. just talking mm-hmm. and you realize like they're not so different. Like they come from different upbringings. They manifested themselves in different types of personalities, but they're really kind of the same person. And at that moment, Larry and magic become friends. And now you've got this, they're still adversaries and they're still busting each other's asses on the court. Right. But that becomes this like symbolic thing because now Larry and Magic show that, well, if a Celtic and a Laker can become friends, a white guy and a black guy can become friends like this. Now this culture war becomes kind of like just mostly about the competition and it's not about who you are, or where you come from. And so it, it has this kind of like societal influence on on the league. And it really starts to take things in a new direction in the NBA. Um, Larry Bird's press conference after Magic reveals that he's got HIV is powerful because you can tell that Larry Bird is like crushed by this. Mm -hmm. Um, And Larry Bird goes out there that night 
and like throws this full court like on a on a breakaway where he just needed to just lob the ball up to a guy who's going to get a you know a, an open dunk he throws this like behind the back full court bounce pass some crazy thing up to like i think it was reggie lewis to uh to finish off the play and that was like clearly an honor of magic in his fancy passing right so that whole thread is is why they ended up saving the NBA because they took this this mess of a league in the 70s they refocused it and they kind of unified it and then from there it just becomes Michael Jordan takes it from there you know mm. but if it if you didn't have Larry and Magic at the right time on the right teams in the in the right situations that you know fitting their personalities like it was just perfect like it's almost like divinely orchestrated that if it didn't happen this way if it didn't happen with magic going to the la like magic couldn't have gone to seattle to do this it had to be la um the uh, Larry Bird couldn't have gone to uh, the Knicks to do this. It had to be Boston. Mm-hmm. So it just it just worked out perfectly. Um, and I, I truly believe, like if if that if that exact set of circumstances didn't happen, who knows? Like the the NBA wouldn't be what it is today. It would not be this global entity. We might not be podcasting about it. No, you're I right. might not have a job covering it because the interest wouldn't be what it is. Like it would just be. It, it might be below hockey. It might be below other things. Like it just. I, I just don't know what the NBA or maybe a different league comes in or maybe separately. I, I don't know what happens, but we certainly aren't here today. No, you know what, man? I, I definitely agree with that. The fact that the NBA could be <clears throat> a whole lot different now than what it was without the resurgence of Bird and Magic and, and you know, their their personalities in the, the, the on, on the teams that they played for. Like you said, Magic had to be in LA. Bird had to be in Boston. It was just that, that, that common, like everything just fit at the right time. And then you still have good talent in, you know, during that time in the 80s. Like Dr. J, you have Barkley in there. Then comes the Ewings and the Olajuwon, then Jordan and Stockton and stuff like that. And uh, Detroit has a resurgence with uh, with Isaiah. So it was just it was just the beginning of a of a positive avalanche that creates this global phenomenon. It's more mainstream. Players are getting commercials. They get in, they get in their own sneakers. More marketing for them. More primetime games. So. As much as much as I am a big Jordan fan, everybody says what well, Jordan took a global. I, I think respect has to be paid that without Magic and Bird paving that way, the, Jordan doesn't take the NBA global. And I, that's where the time where Stern comes in. I think he comes in, in in 1984, right in the middle of the rivalry, and with with his corporate savvy and for marketing and and entertainment and stuff like that, he implemented a lot of changes going forward with the league so even me I, I did not see them in their prime as far as being you know live obviously cause I was still very young but that I, I still say that's one era that I wish I was around for 
to see live because I'm more 90, 91 up as far as really remembering yep. everything that, that I saw. And by the time I really saw Magic and Bird, they were retiring. I saw Magic in, in 91 finals. Uh, uh, Bird was still around. He, he retired in 92. The Dream Team stuff. So that was my era of Magic and Bird, not prior to that. But uh, anybody who says that they did save the lead, they're absolutely right. And, you know, they, they, they brought out the ratings for, I think, the 1987, if you don't know, the 1987 finals was the highest rated finals in that whole CBS era. So I know they met three times, but 87 was, you know, you're getting 24, 24 million people. And I don't, I don't even know what time, what time of night the game was <laughs> in 1987, but you still had 24 million people watching that game. And it kind of, you know signified the whole rivalry between Bird Magic, Boston, LA, and just, you know, giving a positive spin to people about the NBA. Um, and I know you mentioned a while ago the tape delay and stuff like that, and I think it's very important that, you know, during that time, the NBA was on CBS, and they had the, the games on tape delay from, I think, the finals you mentioned between Portland and Philadelphia in 77, until 88, I'm sorry, 86, where they had uh, playoff games tape delayed. Now, for those who don't know, the games would happen earlier earlier in the day and be shown later on at night on TV. So primarily that time frame was 1130 at night. So if, if a game happened at one o'clock in the afternoon, you're not seeing that until 1130 at night, whether it be on a weekday or weekend, uh, which made it for fans is like hey, listen man can you put the games on earlier and I know they had a lot of West Coast teams um, in those playoffs and in those finals so they, they wanted to do that as well but at the same time the NBA was evolving like you mentioned with Magic and Bird they, they, the NBA was evolving but CBS wasn't evolving with them and not having games at prime time you talk about the peak of this era between 84 and, and, and 87 with Bird and Magic and you know more prime time games they, they needed to be shown live, but that wasn't happening. Um, the NBA might not have been where it's at without this whole rivalry. And I think CBS, um, you know, they might have liked it, but they just didn't. There was a lack of attention to what was going on. Like this phenomenon was going on right in the palm of your hands. And you wasn't taking advantage of uh, advantage of that. And again, I wasn't. I was around, but I wasn't really paying too much mind to what was going on. But I think the the NBA on CBS era um, could have made this this game and that rivalry even go even further if it wasn't for the lack of. I mean, it, it, if it wasn't for them doing the tape delay all the time. Yeah, the one thing I can tell you that it, from experience in the TV industry. Uh, it takes a while for the people at the top to catch on to what's really happening. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're talking about, like I, I just told everybody about the 70s, the late 70s, and how the interest wasn't there. So I understand like in the late 70s, you're like, well, we're not going to put this live. Nobody's watching it. The people do not care about the NBA. Larry and Magic come in and it's like the 80s and there's just not this they're, they're just not going to catch on right away because they're like, you know what? Mm. People don't care about the NBA. I don't care about the NBA. It's it's a flash in the pan. We're not going to we're not going to 
boot shows that are popular for this league that, okay, maybe it's a little popular now, but um, they're not like, how, how long are they going to be? Are they going to be popular? Right. Like, so CBS is putting on programming. Like what, what program do they have? Like, Dukes of Hazard, <laughs> you know, but like, so I'm just, I'm just looking through like CBS shows, Magnum PI, Dallas. Oh boy. The new heart show, no. um, Alice, the, the murder. No. She like, all of these shows are like shows that are important. And at the time, big, big ratings, right. okay. Big right. ratings. And they say, all right, well, are we going to preempt an episode of Magnum PI, which is a ratings killer? I know it sounds stupid now, mm. like, but they say in 1982, let's say, okay, we got Magnum PI. It's a hot show. We got this NBA. Yeah. Okay. It seems a little popular now. These two guys are fine, but like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, interrupt Magnum PI and piss off Magnum PI fans because that's going to happen week to week to week to week. And if, if I take away Magnum PI and put on this Celtics Lakers game and okay, fine. That's fine for ratings. But if those Magnum PI fans go to NBC, cause they're not NBA fans. Cause I don't believe a lot of people are NBA fans and they like another, another show. Then guess what? I lose Magnum PI. I lose, I'm, I'm cannibalizing my ratings juggernaut. And so, you know what? I'm not going to do that. If people are fans of the NBA, they want to watch it. They can watch it later. Mm. I'm not messing with my ratings with my, you know, Dallas. I'm not taking Dallas away. Like people don't understand. Like Dallas was a phenomenon phenomenon in the, uh, in the eighties. Like, the most like who shot Jr. Mm-hmm. is still one of the most highly rated television shows, single shows of all time. Absolutely. So th- back then, they're they're a little slow in the uptake when it comes to the NBA. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we can blame CBS for sure because I think in reality those fans would come back anyway to see like oh. This your next episode that that's going to come next week. Don't worry about it. But here's here's sports. Um, it's just because they were at that point, there were three networks. You had ABC, CBS, NBC. There was no Fox. There was no cable or, proliferation. Or, or, yeah, or certainly ESPN. no streaming. Yeah, like you had three options. So if they took away, so no one could just be like, well, I'm just going to rewatch last week's Dallas or I'm just going to go play on the internet or whatever. Mm-hmm. You had three choices. And so I can understand a little bit about why these executives be like, uh, all you've got to do and you have to get up and turn the channel. There's no remote control. And a lot of these TVs still like you get up, you put a channel on, you sat down. If you didn't, you didn't get up and like nowadays, if you've got cable and you're not streaming, you're, you're going through commercials or you're skipping through commercials and you're just getting to the next thing. Yeah. Uh, back then you sat through commercials because you didn't want to get up and walk across the room. Or if you were a parent and you had a kid, you'd tell your kid to go change the channel. 
because you didn't want to get up and that's what kids were for blue human remote controls Mm -hmm. but like the viewing experience was different so if someone got up and turned off the nba game and went to nbc and watch whatever nbc had they would leave that on for half an hour and they would really really sample the show and you have a chance to really lose a viewer be like well you know i like this but this show is pretty good I might come back next week to watch the show. I really like the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, it, that also contributed to CBS being slow to switch over. Now, should they have waited six years? No. Like they, I think once you got to like 1983 and you're like, all right, this is, this is pretty important. Like 1984 should have been live. They shouldn't have waited till 1987. But right. I, I think there's, there's, there's some, I understand the TV reasoning behind at least the beginning of it. See, I, I agree because, you know, again, it wasn't my, it wasn't my time, time era, but like when you do the research and you kind of, kind of pick apart why they, why they, they, they didn't do it, what took them so long. Again, technology back in the 80s ain't like what it is today. So things can't be, you know, I'll put you on this channel, I'll put you on that channel. If you're on TNT and you're going overboard, I'll just click you to TBS. It's not like, it's not, you know, like how it is now. So I just found it to be very interesting where, again, they, again, to to your point, they, they were slow to getting there. And I read that, you know, 1988 was the last time they aired a game at a uh, 11:30 p.m. in uh, East Coast time. So right after that, they went everything went live with preseason or you know postseason finals, whatever the case may be. So 86 was the last time they aired a playoff game in tape delay. And 87 is where we had the finals between Boston and, and LA with 24 million people watching. Um, and then from that point on, which I'm going to slowly go into the 90s, at the 87, you know, Boston is still viable. They go into the playoffs, but that was the last time they won a championship until 2008. Um, you start seeing a decline in, in Bird and McHale and Parrish. Um, then you roll over. At, at the same time, L.A. is still winning championships. They won in 88. They got there in 89. They lost to Detroit. So the end of that decade you know, was leaving with Detroit as world champions. Now Magic did did get there get did get back there in ninety one. Ninety was Detroit and Portland. So you are seeing this this you know, this new era of basketball, the bad boys era. Things are changing with the NBA. Jordan is ascending with the with the Chicago Bulls. So now you're seeing a, a culture shift in the NBA. So now you go into the nineties and Boston again is still still a playoff team, but not they weren't winning the the, the title. So ninety, they get there, they're losing five in the first round. Like how, how crazy is that for Boston to lose in the first round? Uh, to mm. to to my New York Knicks, <laughs> <laughs> um, they lost in five. We go to ninety one, they lose in six to Detroit. Um, who was trying trying to become a, th- a three peak champion in the second round? They lose to Cleveland in '92 in seven in the conference semis. That's when Bird retires, and you know the dream team stuff happens with Jordan, Bird, and Magic, and those guys. So Bird is Bird is out. 
They lose in first round to to Charlotte in '93 in four games with the infamous uh, uh, Alonzo Mourning shot, which kind of kind of hurt your heart a little bit. Um, no playoffs in '94, so for the first time in a very 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 long time, no Boston Celtics in the playoffs. So at that point, it's like man, like have you really fell? After that, McHale retired. The year after. Parish retired, so the old guard is is really out the way. Come ninety four, so in ninety four, you're like, man, holy shit! Like, there's no, there's no <laughs> we're not even in the playoffs. Like that, that must have been a surreal feeling, right? Yeah, I mean, you got to go back to like nineteen eighty six to set the tone for what's happening in nineteen ninety four. Nineteen nineteen eighty six, the Boston Celtics win a championship. Right. Um, I already talked about, I think they're the best team, one of the best teams in the NBA ever. Ever. Then you've got in in that draft, because of a trade that they pulled off, they had the second pick in that draft. So you win a championship, you're one of the most dominant teams of all time, then you get the second overall pick, and they take Len Bias, who is Mm. supposed to be like people are, are talking him up to be like a surefire, surefire star in the NBA. Right. And obviously we've had a lot of surefire stars in the NBA that they're supposed to be surefire stars in the NBA come out of college and not pan out. So we can't say what Len bias would or wouldn't have been because he ends up dying in a cocaine overdose in June. So shortly after he's drafted, he ODs on cocaine. Mm. So this guy was supposed to be like, you, you add him to a championship team, you learn from Larry Bird, you learn from these other guys, and then you take over. One, he was supposed to be the guy that takes the, the torch from, uh, from Larry Bird. Okay, He's an all-American coming in, like big, big expectations, going to learn under bird. You're going to be the next great small forward in Celtics history. So he dies. Okay. That's tragic. Mm -hmm. Then 1993 Reggie Lewis, the Reggie Lewis had had a really, really nice career up until that point. Like Michael Jordan talks about Reggie Lewis, uh, defending him and how he was a very, very tough to defend and a very tough defender. Uh, Reggie at that point had already been an all-star. Uh, he had spent two years, uh, averaging 21 points a game. He was clearly going to be like one of the next stars. He was going to be the guy in the early nineties after that era goes away. Mikhail is still around. So you've got some of that big three kind of influence. He's teaching these guys. He's teaching Reggie Lewis. Reggie is supposed to take this team now and, be the guy that they build around. Well, in 1993, he dies. He has um, a heart, uh, atrial fibrillation, uh, and he he dies on a practice court. So now, two guys that the Celtics had been counting on mm-hmm. for the... I mean, it's not like you had two guys that were busts. You're like, ah, oh, well, they, they made a mistake drafting these guys. 
they had, they had an All-American, first-team All-American coming out of college, highly regarded, and an All-Star die. So now you're in this 90s like, wow, like what, what do I need to, what, do this, what does this team need to do? So that really kind of set this franchise, I mean, what do you say, set the franchise back. It's really, it's a dark, dark time. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, nothing, nothing is panning out for these guys. Um, now you've got, they're purposely tanking, uh, and that doesn't work out because they, that was the Tim Duncan. They were trying to purposely tank for Tim Duncan mm-hmm. in, in the mid nineties there. And, and that they ended up getting, uh, what was it? The fifth pick or something. Like that. So, uh, they ended up getting Paul Pierce, which is fine. But at the same time, they also got Rick Pitino. Mm-hmm. So um, that 90s era in Celtics history is like, I think everybody would like to forget the 90s. Because <laughs> literally, like, almost nothing good happened. Rick Pitino came in, mm-hmm. and his ego was out of control. Massive. Like, so out of control. Um he supplanted Red Arback. Like Red Arback was like the de facto president of the team, and Patino took that that title away from Red Arback. Like even though Red wasn't having the, a huge influence, although um, Red did insist on drafting Joe Forte uh, one year, which was one of the worst draft picks in Celtics history. Um, but aside from that, he didn't have much influence. Uh, on the team, uh, the symbolic gesture of taking his title away really pissed a lot of Celtics fans off. I mean, like a lot of Celtics fans were like, "What? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Leave her alone!" Like Red is this franchise. I mean, he's the guy that built it and made all these trades. Like he built everything. You can't take away his title. <coughs> yeah. Excuse me. So they did get Antoine Walker. They did get Paul Pierce. They did have some fun times in that in that uh, '90s era. But Patino, I mean, think about the guys. He he drafted Chauncey Billups uh, and traded him away. Um, he had Rick Fox, who was good for the Lakers, uh, traded him away. Uh, he he made these ridiculous moves for players that just never really panned out. Um. And I don't know. At, at this point, I'm getting depressed. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I was, ju- I was just going to say you sound very annoyed, depressed about this whole era because every time I look at Google or whatever and I type in 90s Celtics, it, I keep seeing the same line, the dark period, the dark era. And I really wanted oh, to. It's the worst. I, I wanted to see what was so dark about it because, like I mentioned, you made the playoffs five times in, in that in that decade, which is which is. You know, for some teams, that's pretty good. Um, to go back, like I mentioned, you missed 94, but you come back and you play Orlando in 95 in the first round and, and you lose in four games. That's where I think Dominique was a Celtic. Um, and the magic was, you know, resurging. And then that was the last the last year, the last game you played at the Boston Garden. So everything is really turning for, for the franchise uh, you guys start playing um, in the in the Fleet Center, 
So the Boston Garden gets demolished, I think, three years later. It's really a new era. Yeah. You mentioned they get Antoine Walker in 1996 with the sixth uh, overall pick. They, as far as the timeline goes, they get A. Walker. They bring Patino on board. I'll come back to that. They draft Billups with the third pick in 97 when they wanted to get um, Tim Duncan. And Keith Van Horn went above Chauncey Billups. And then he was traded to Toronto later on in 98. And in 98, they draft Paul Pierce with the 10th pick. So things are, are, are maybe there is light at the end of the 90s tunnel with them. And you guys don't make it back to the playoffs until 2002. So mm-hmm. there is a maybe seven-year period of no playoffs for, for Boston, which sounds crazy today. But the Rick Pitino thing, I was looking at some stuff last night. Again, I've heard about it. And, you know, that, that quote saying, Larry Bird ain't walking through that door. McKill ain't walking through that door. Parrish ain't walking through that door. And he gets, he, he's under a 10-year, ten, a $70 million contract where he's a coach and the president. And you see the moves and he'll trade for a guy, he'll sign a guy, then he'll trade him like a few months later. I saw something with mm-hmm. Travis Knight and it was a whole bunch of plays. I'm like, what is oh going my on? God. <laughs> it's like, but, but, but bro, listen, I, I felt like that was the same thing going on with the Knicks in the, um, in the early 2000s. It's like new coaches here and there, new GMs, new, new, new point right. guards. It, it's, it's a revolving door of talent and people and this and that and what is going on until you guys really found your stride and want to chip in our weight. But I think getting Antoine Walker and Paul Pierce changed the, the narrative, changed the culture where you guys are really getting better talent and became, you know, a real big threat in the Eastern Conference, a big-time dynamic duo. Uh, getting back to the playoffs in 2 to the Eastern Conference Finals, I think Jim O'Brien was the coach. So Patino is out. But that Patino era, it is crazy that I'm looking at stuff last night and I'm like, wow, like Patino really did all this shit while he was there? <laughs> it's crazy. Well, <clears throat> The Rick Pitino era, like Rick Pitino is a dirty word in Boston. Um, he, he really set the franchise back. Um, he like the Travis Knight move. Oh God. Like that, that is as indicative of uh, an era like that right there encapsulated, uh, the whole thing because, um, he renounced the rights to like eight guys, to go all in on Travis Knight. And and that was one of the worst moves a team could pull off. And like you said, he, um, he would sign a guy and then a few months later be like, I'm done with you. Trade him. Right. Like there, there was, he was in a college mode. Like he was, he was in a mode where the coach is King. And if you're not going to follow what I say, I'm done with you. Um, with no regard for how that impacted the team salary cap, with how it impacted team morale, without it, how any uh, feeling for how it impacted other players around the league to say, well, I'm not going to play for this guy because if, he, if we don't get along for like three weeks, it's going to cut me. So um, that era ending was one of the best things that could happen. Like, so they, they ended up getting Paul Pierce, 
which is great. Mm. Antoine Walker, it was fun. And under Jim O'Brien, like that was the real beginning of the running gun era because right. Jim Jim O'Brien was like, Yeah, shoot shoot all the threes you want. And Antoine Walker had the famous the famous quote where they asked Antoine, like, why do you shoot so many threes? And he said, Because there are no fours. Like that's <laughs> that's like um, yeah. and I remember bumping into Jim O'Brien and asking him, I was like, How many how many threes do you think um, Antoine Walker would shoot today and he just shook his head and it's like yeah uh, I don't know a lot a lot <laughs> um, oh, he he was like Antoine was all all in on the three point uh, the, the, this whole three point revolution like he was ahead of his time so um, but yeah it wasn't until Rick Pitino left that the Celtics could kind of get past some of the decisions and some of that kind of impulsiveness and start actually building, building a team. And um, it wasn't until Doc Rivers came along and he and Paul Pierce could kind of work things out that, um, that this team could kind of get back on track. I mean, the nineties is the only decade in Celtics history where they didn't win a championship. Like they won championships in every other decade, multiple championships in every other decade uh, up until the 1990s, then zero in the 1990s. And then it took up until obviously 2008 for them to finally break through and win another one, um, which I'm sure fans of teams that only have like one or no championships, like you're probably like, well, so what? <laughs> but yeah. for this franchise, that's that says a lot about this franchise. I mean, it's just, you know, that's that's been the expectation. That's been the the run that they were on. And and not winning, that's a that's a big deal for for the Celtics. So um, that's how far back Rick Pitino kind of set this team. I mean, you had the, like I said, the two deaths which set the team back mm-hmm. uh, tremendously. Rick Pitino comes in and sets the team even back further. So it it takes that whole twenty two years for the team to recover. Wow. Um, and like even Paul Pierce, like it's important to know that Paul Pierce when he came in, didn't have the best mentality when it came to playing basketball. I mean, obviously he survived the stabbing um, and not only survived the stabbing, but played in all 82 games the next two seasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, he was part of that Team USA. They lose in the World Cup where they didn't even medal. Um, He was part of that. And and he had like a a mentality where he was just going to go out and get his. It was a very 90s mentality. Where you know he was, he he wasn't thinking about much more than himself, and it wasn't until he and Doc got together, and Pierce had that ridiculous. Sh- what year was that playoffs? Where he it was against the Pacers, and he showed up at the press conference with a bandage around his head because he was he was protesting the foul, uh, and he wanted to like make a point that he was fouled. Um, and he looked ridiculous. It's one of the most ridiculous <laughs> moments in Paul Pierce's career. Um, and it was after that, that he and doc kind of had to come to Jesus. And he, it was like either trade Paul Pierce, that Paul Pierce was very, very close to being traded, uh, away from Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was either trade Paul Pierce or he gets on board and he got on board. And that, then ultimately the rest happens with Ray Allen and KG. Right. Uh, real quick, um, correct me if, if I'm wrong. Antoine Walker played more of the four, right? 
Yeah. Okay, so now this is uh he drafted ninety six, so ninety seven, ninety eight. You know, he was taking a lot of threes. I don't know when he started to do that, but I'm trying to find like because I had a conversation with some friends earlier in the week that when it came to fours or even fives, you know, going to the three-point line and taking the game out there, that I think of like Dirk, obviously. I think of Rasheed Wallace, obviously, of big men taking the game out to the outside. But Antoine Walker, I'm trying to figure out when did he start doing that and do you see him as like, obviously there's Sam Perkins from prior to that, but it's like, do you see Antoine Walker as one of the fours in history that really started to change the game where if you were a four, yeah, you you could do some block work, some some post-up and everything, but you at, at a certain time had to take your game outside to make some threes. So it was Antoine, does Antoine Walker fit in that realm of fours who oh, sure. changed the game to, 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 to shoot and make threes? Yeah, I mean, it was a kind of, yeah, he was very, very willing to shoot the threes. Uh, <laughs> and he, he certainly was one of the first. I mean, and, and to the point where a lot of us were like, seriously, like that quote that that came from the general mentality of like, why are you shooting so many threes? But Jim O'Brien was like, let him fly. Like he really was just all on board. But you know, Antoine was also very much on board. Like he didn't have to be convinced either. So uh, him, I, I think Antoine was definitely one of the guys that kind of showed that you're four could go out there and, and shoot a, a bunch of threes. Mm-hmm. I mean, he became an all-star partly because of it. And I don't think he was very efficient, but he was out there and he was bombing away. I mean, he had, he got the, the, was the Reebok deal employee number eight. Like yeah. he, he had a little run there where Antoine was regarded as, you know, uh, regarded very highly in the NBA sneaker deal, uh, couple of all-star appearances. I mean, he was, he and Pierce were like riding high uh, and they, they had some success and they had some playoff success. Um, They were on that team that, that came back and beat the nets. uh, One of the the biggest comebacks in playoff history. So, um, but you know, obviously that, that style wasn't, they weren't fully constructed uh, to take advantage of that style. It was, it was kind of like, they kind of half-assed the the way that team was built. I mean, nowadays, he, you could have Antoine Walker be pretty successful as a stretch four, but you would have you would have a different style uh, of play. And so I, I think it just never like they were they were a little too run and gun, like just and, and not not enough defense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think Antoine certainly could be seen as one of the guys that uh, is an early adopter of the stretch four mentality. Yeah, because he was also even on the cover of um, NBA Live 99 when they were doing that Cybertwan stuff, so you can't forget about that. <laughs> you got right. Cybertwan, oh, employee number eight, you know. Um, Man. I mean, you'd kind of sit back and think about, you know, if that duo would have stayed longer or, or would have got it together quicker and just imagine if just imagine if 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 it was LA and Boston in that 02 finals. I know I know New Jersey was great with Jay Kidd and, and those guys but you kind of sit back and wonder what if it was LA yeah. and, and Boston who who would have won? Maybe LA they, they they were trying to go for the three-peat Kobe and Shaq would Boston have won a game or two, made it competitive? I think they they would have beat LA once New Jersey and get one one win off. So, you know, 
for me as a fan, would I rather see Boston and L.A.? Sure, to, to renew that rivalry, you know? Sure, yeah. I mean, I mean, I agree. Would have been better than whatever New Jersey did. <laughs> and <laughs> New Jersey went to back-to-back finals, but it's neither here or there. But um, I, I think the, the, the A. Walker-Pierce era is it can, kind of gets um, – overlooked a bit not talked about enough um what would they have done going forward we would never know but you know a walker does get his his uh his, his championship with miami in 06 paul pierce gets his uh in 08 with boston obviously with pierce and guard uh garnett and ray allen um and i think that's that's where you start seeing the resurgence of the celtics you know yeah i mean that that era like that um, they tanked real hard in that draft where it, it was Greg Oden and Kevin Durant. Um, and seven, okay. I, um, that was, and I know that Danny Ainge, if he had gotten the top pick, I know, I know that Greg Oden went first, mm-hmm. uh, but if he had gotten that top pick, he definitely would have picked Kevin Durant for sure. Um I think Danny Ainge kind of saw what the league was going to become, but who knows what happens if, if that doesn't go the way it did, then <coughs> excuse me, they end up getting the fifth pick and you trade it for Ray Allen. And then mm. all of a sudden you swing a deal for Kevin Garnett mm. at the time. I'll be honest with you at the time. I thought they gave up too much for Kevin Garnett. It was one of those where, you know, KG is on like the back end of his career and they're giving up a ton of talent, ton of young guys. I mean, at that point, Al Jefferson was young and mm-hmm. upcoming. And, and I thought, like, giving up Al Jefferson is – that's a lot, considering that he was – how good he was at the time. Right. But, you know, also, I, I definitely think that uh, the Celtics and Danny Ainge kind of saw where the league was going. And they they didn't value the back-to-the-basket kind of old-school uh, Al Jefferson. Like, I, I definitely valued that more than what the Celtics did. And it turns out, I mean, they were obviously correct. But um, they gave up a lot for for KG. And it worked out. I mean, they, they sold out big. And really, the underrated signing there was James Posey because Posey kept that bench together. Um, mm-hmm. People, uh, you know, you look back and you said that the Pierce, Ray Allen, Garnett, and, you know, Rondo was, was really good for them back then. I know people have different opinions of Rondo now, but back then he was, he was perfect for that team. Um, but Posey was like underrated, like the glue guy. He was, he hit some big shots um, for the Celtics, and, and he was like the guy off the bench that they could rely on to come in and be like be like a real good three and D wing. So, but yeah, that that's and well, the other thing that people tend to forget is the year after they won that championship, they were better. That team was better than the championship team, but Kevin Garnett ended up hurting his knee, mm-hmm. and it, he hurt his knee, uh, and that just kind of torpedoed the Celtics chances. But if, if Kevin Garnett had stayed healthy, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't put it past the Celtics to at least repeat and maybe even three peat. Yeah. I got it. I, I got to save 
the 2000s uh, Celtics for a different time, a different day. Because there's a yeah. lot of interesting things. Cause, like, I can even ask you real quick before I wrap it up that it, there is a rumor that that the Lakers were trying to get Garnett before Boston got him. The Lakers, L.A. was, was trying to get him, throwing, buying him out there. So there is that what if, what if Kevin Garnett, you know, was traded to the Lakers, you know, with the, with the Boston well, I saw the photo shots. Yeah. Yeah. People, people were really, like, there was a, a real competition for Kevin Garnett. Like, mm-hmm. that was, and he was a culture changer. And and I won't go too deep into it, but, like, it, Doc Rivers says from the beginning, like, you need your star to buy in. And Kevin Garnett bought into everything that Doc was selling from the beginning, and everyone else fell in line. Mm-hmm. If, if KG had just said, like, nah, that's kind of bullshit, then none of this would have happened. It really is KG falling in line behind Doc Rivers right? and and everything else worked out. The last question I'll I, I throw at you, again, we're talking to John Corrales um, from MassLive.com. Make sure, let, me, let me make sure I get that right. Celtics beat writer from MassLive.com. He's on Twitter at RedsArmy underscore John, host of the Locked On Celtics podcast that you can find on iTunes. Last one. So we spend predominantly talking about the 80s and 90s Celtics. If I ask you for, for, for each decade, what was the highest high and the lowest low from the 80s and the 90s? What would you say? Well, the highest high in the 80s, I think, was that 86 championship. Mm-hmm. Um, the lowest low in the 90s, and I don't want to sound like a jerk, by saying hmm. I have a hard time picking between the death of somebody and the Rick Pitino era. Um, the death of Reggie Lewis was, I think, obviously the lowest point. But uh, the Rick Pitino era was not far behind. Um, and I say that only because um, obviously the death is tragic. And, you know, for obvi- I mean, just obvious reasons. But... The Rick Pitino era set the team back so much. And it, the years, multiple years that he was in Boston was so bad that it, it's, it's, it, was, it took a long time for the team to recover. So Reggie Lewis's death was the lowest point in the 90s, but the Rick Pitino era was very, very close. For a second, I thought you—I thought you were going to say the highest high was getting rid of Rick Pitino. <laughs> I mean that—that—that that, that qualifies. That certainly qualifies uh-huh. for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I find I find everything interesting, man. I think I learned a lot today from these two uh, decades of, of Boston Celtics. You know, I, I'm a Knicks fan, but. You know, just to learn more about your rivalry is always good to know. And you know, when I do these shows. Half of it is stuff that I do know. Stuff of it, half of it is like stuff I, I, I like to learn when I have people on. So, having you on talking about the glory days of the Celtics and you know what many people call the dark era of the Celtics was very cool and very entertaining and very thoughtful. So, uh, I greatly appreciate you coming on again, John Corrales uh, on Twitter at Reds Army underscore John Celtics beat writer for MassLive.com and the host of the Locked On Celtics podcast on iTunes. John, my man, greatly appreciate it, bro. You got it, man. Anytime. All right, man. Thank you.